This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Today, we're talking about the six lies of jazz success. Things that you've probably heard before are good things, but it turns out they actually aren't and could be holding you back from reaching your goals in your jazz playing, becoming the musician you want to be. So let's get ready to do this. Pay attention, grab your notebook, and let's get started. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve. No matter what instrument you play, thank you for being here. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I never take it for granted. And of course... In return, I promise to deliver as much value to you as possible during your time listening to this show today. Like I said, we are talking about the six lies of jazz success, things that have been repeated time and time again, or thoughts that you may have, beliefs you might have about learning to play music and specifically learning how to play jazz that are just incorrect. And we want to turn those around. So not only will I be talking about what the six lies of jazz success are, I'll be explaining the alternatives to them that you're going to want to pay attention to. So as I list these six jazz lies, Please listen in to see which ones of these you resonate with and some actions you want to take differently. Because ultimately, my friends, the way that we are practicing is what's going to dictate the results that we get in our jazz playing and how fast we will get those results. The machine that we are using to produce the results are our practice strategies. And if we don't fine tune those machines, fine tune those engines to the ultimate max, we are going to be constantly frustrated with our progress. Now, I talked a little bit about these six lies during our inner circle retreat this last weekend. It's just a small segment of an overall talk I was giving about something called the one thing, which is just a way to think about how do we simplify what we're practicing so that we're only focusing on the most important things for us specifically that are going to get us the best results. So that's kind of the context of this today, but let's jump right into it. The six lies of jazz success. Lie number one is that everything you practice matters. Lie number one, that everything you practice matters. So think right now about your current practice sessions when you sit down with your instrument and you start playing and you might think that all these things I'm doing matter a lot and are helping me improve. But the truth is that is not true at all. Right? So there's something called the Pareto Principle, also known as the 80-20 rule. It's just a kind of general observation throughout multiple different industries, uh, just over time. Uh, that's a general guideline that says that 20% of the efforts that you're putting in 
are reaping 80% of the results, right? So in our case, 20% of the things that we're actually practicing are getting us 80% of the progress in our musicianship or in our jazz playing, right? And then if we want to flip it on its head, we could say that 80% of the things that we're practicing are only reaping 20% of the results, right? And so really as a jazz coach... I like to think about what are those high leverage activities as jazz musicians that we can be doing to get the most results. And while there certainly are categories of things that for certain we should be focusing on, a lot of times it actually comes down specifically what works the best for us, right? And we're not going to talk about like those categories right now. We've talked about that in plenty of other episodes. Right now, I just want you to understand that line number one is everything you practice matters, and it's just not true. It's just not true. Because the likelihood is if you were to step back and take a look at your current practice sessions, you would notice, if you really look deeply, that there's certain things that you're practicing or working on that are getting you to where you want to go faster, right? They're helping you improve your solos faster, your bass lines, your comping. And so I want you to double down on paying attention to what those 20% of efforts are that are getting you 80% of the results. Lie number two is practicing a lot of things gets more results. Practicing a lot of things gets more results. So this could be just the number of things you're actually practicing, right? I'm practicing scales and arpeggios and chords and improvisation and learning a jazz lick and learning a new jazz standard and this, that, and this and voicings, right? So you're practicing a lot of things, which sounds really good. So you must be getting more out of your practicing this way and improving faster. Or perhaps I'm practicing for longer hours, right? I'm practicing for two hours at a time, three hours at a time, where I'm practicing one hour, five times a week. I'm practicing a lot and therefore I'm going to get more results, right? And the truth about this is it's not always going to get you more results. In fact, most of the time, if you're doing too many things, you're probably spreading yourself too thin. And I'll give you a great example. And for me, that was the year that I learned 100 jazz standards in a year. And yes, you heard that correct. Uh, You probably knew this if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. But if you're new, yes, I did learn 100 jazz standards in one year. It was a... particular time in my life where I had the time to actually go about doing that. And while, of course, I would be lying if I said I didn't improve aspects of my playing quite a bit from just the sheer amount of learning standards there, learning new songs, the sad result is that of those 100 jazz standards that I learned, today I know far fewer than those that I learned that one year, right? And of course, I know some new tunes that I didn't learn that year and all that good stuff. But I don't know the hundred. I don't know all hundred of those jazz standards anymore. And more disappointing than that, I wasn't really great at improvising all of over one hundred of those jazz standards. I was probably okay at improvising over a good 20, 25 of them, right? So a quarter of them. But the problem with learning 100 jazz standards in one year is I didn't have enough time to really dive deep into one of the jazz standards. I didn't really have time to analyze the harmony. I didn't have a time to experiment with my soloing. I didn't have time to apply some things I was learning on my instrument to those jazz standards. It just wasn't enough time. I was spreading myself too thin. 
And it would have been far more beneficial if I just learned maybe 25 or 12 jazz standards a year, which by the way, that's what we do in our Inner Circle membership. And those of you who are members know this. We learn one jazz standard a month because again, you have a lot of time to dive deep uh, sorry, did I say 12 in a month? 12 in a year, one a month. <laughs> you have a lot of time to dive deep into that one jazz standard and learn and and just get everything you can out of it before moving on to the next one where you're going to learn more lessons, right? So that is lie number two. Practicing a lot of things gets more results. Just not true. A lot of times, less is more, my friends. Lie number three is we must practice the same things right? We must practice the same things. And the thinking behind this is if you want to get good at something, you just practice it over and over and over and over again, right? Now, the problem with this is I want you to picture in your head for a second, there's someone, let's just say it's you, and you got a sledgehammer in your hand, and there's a big brick wall in front of you. And for some reason, your goal is to break through this brick wall. And so you keep hammering at this incredibly thick brick wall with a sledgehammer and you're making progress, but it's going very slowly. And there are other tools at your disposal, right? In fact, there could be like a backhoe somewhere nearby. There could be a bigger sledgehammer. There could be, um, I don't know, just fill in the, the example of what construction tool could get you through that wall. But you just keep hammering away with the same tool. And so sometimes during different phases of our learning and our jazz journey, we might have to switch the tools that we're actually using to get better results or use the right tool at the right time. So one example where I can kind of, um, that we can kind of draw from here is CrossFit gyms. Have you heard of CrossFit gyms before? So CrossFit gyms are gyms that definitely find them all over the US here, uh, where it's kind of based on this approach of working out and exercising that is very um, diverse. You're doing a bunch of different activities, a lot of body weight training. But one of the core tenets of the idea of CrossFit is that you're constantly doing different activities to work similar sets of muscles because it makes it so your body doesn't get used to just taking one action. So for example, a classic thing to do at a gym is to do a bench press, right? And so you're really kind of lifting the same weight, the same kind of way over and over again. But with CrossFit, you're kind of approaching the same goal, like improving your upper body muscles, for example, but you're approaching it from different ways. Your body's not getting used to one action. And so sometimes that's actually a lot more beneficial for our jazz playing. Instead of just practicing the same things over and over and over again, it's actually good sometimes to switch the approach or look at it from a slightly different angle to improve. This is a practicing hack that a lot of people are not considering. So I want you to consider it for yourself. Lie number four is that willpower to practice can be summoned easily, okay? The willpower to practice can be summoned easily. So we all know that there are times where we get slumped in our practice, right? We're kind of unmotivated, uninspired, right? You see your instrument in the corner collecting dust, and it's a weird sort of like, contra like contradiction of itself. You 
deep inside, like really want to play amazing jazz solos. You pick yourself up at that jam session. You're not nervous. You're not afraid. You're playing amazing jazz solos. You're comping awesome. You're playing amazing bass lines and people are just impressed with you and you're proud of yourself. Like that's, that's the vision. That's the dream, right? You're sounding like your jazz heroes. Everything is good, fine and dandy. You know, that's where it is and you get excited thinking about it. But then when you look at your instruments, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like doing this right now. Right. And that's because you've run out of batteries. You've run out of batteries, right? You don't have, you need to recharge, essentially. You need to recharge your batteries. We don't have unlimited amounts of willpower. You can't just say when your batteries are completely gone, you can't just say, well, I'm going to summon the willpower to go up and play my instrument. It just doesn't work that way, right? And I'm sure you've felt that before. And that's why we need certain things that get us all amped up. For example, at our Inner Circle Retreat last weekend, everybody was incredibly excited to practice at the end. We even had people after day one reporting back on how excited they were. They practiced like the rest of the day right? after the first day of the retreat, right? You, that's called recharging your batteries, right? Or for example, a lot of our inner circle members do get consistently motivated and excited because there's a lot of other musicians who are also learning that one jazz standard a month and they're posting their progress. And so that's kind of a way for them to feel involved in a community. And so they get excited and it helps recharge their batteries, perhaps a little bit more regularly. Or maybe you go to a live performance, right? A jazz club or just somewhere and you see an amazing musician play. Like I, that's happened to me so many times where my batteries are completely gone. And then I go to a local jazz club in here in New York and I watch an amazing musician play and all of a sudden I just feel so much energy and inspiration to go practice, right? But so here's the thing. Since willpower to practice cannot be summoned easily as we just learned, it means that when we do have the willpower to practice, I hope that we're focusing on the 20% that I was just talking about, the 20% of things that are getting us 80% of results, right? Because while you do have fully charged batteries, I wouldn't want to be wasting that charge on things that aren't actually helping me improve or get to that vision I had of myself playing on a jam session, feeling comfortable, feeling confident, playing amazing jazz solos and just like unable to go to sleep that night because I was so excited, right? That's where we want to get to. I mean, not the, not the unable to get to sleep part, but you get what I'm saying. The excitement was there. Okay, so that is lie number four. Willpower to practice can be summoned easily. Unfortunately not, we better focus on the right things while we have our batteries charged. Okay, and number five, the lie number five is we must have balanced practice sessions. We must have balanced practice sessions. I bet you a lot of you have heard that or perhaps believe that. So what I want you to picture is like a pie chart right now. And it's kind of split up fairly evenly, right? Maybe some sections are slightly bigger than the others, right? Imagine a pie chart. There's scales in one of those sections. There's arpeggios in one of those sections. There's chord voicings in one of those sections. There's jazz repertoire, jazz standards in one of those sections. Jazz language, like learning solos. Improvising, just practicing improvising is one of those sections, right? And that's your balanced practice session, right? So one, two, three, four, five, six things that I just listed there. And I think a lot of you would agree after listing those things, that would create a pretty balanced practice session, right? A balanced musician should be working on all of those things I just mentioned. 
But remember, if we kind of go back a little bit to one of our other lies, which is practicing a lot of things gets more results, we start to realize that a balanced practice session isn't necessarily the best use of our time, right? A balanced practice session could be, in fact, stretching us a little bit too thin. So I had a teacher once, uh, someone who had a big impact on me when I first started playing jazz. His name is Bruce Foreman. He's a jazz guitarist from uh, from California, from Los Angeles. A phenomenal bebop jazz guitar player. Really good. He just taught me a lot. And something that he told me once is he said, sometimes you'll need to practice technique the most. Sometimes you'll be learning tunes, but practice what is ailing you the most right? Practice what is ailing you the most right now, right? Because he knew you can't have balanced practice sessions. There's just going to be times where you're like, hey, you know, I'm realizing in order for me to get to the next level, like every time I listen to myself solo, I just don't hear the chord changes very well. Okay. So we need to focus all of our efforts now on working on the chord changes until we make a little bit of progress there, right? And that's not to say that perhaps we can't have a few other things in the mix. But ultimately, if we really want to improve faster, if we want to focus on the 20%, then perhaps that 20% is best spent on the things that we need to actually work on. Now, alternatively, I would also say it another way. I would say practice also or... What is working the best for you, right? So practice what is working the best for you. Um, I called this in our talk with our Inner Circle members, The One Thing, which is a concept that comes from Gary Keller's book called The One Thing, okay? And basically, The One Thing says, you know, if what is the thing, I guess we'll put it into jazz practicing terms, what is the thing that if I practice this one thing, everything else will become exponentially easier or not even needed at all, right? So what's one thing I could practice that if I practice this one thing, everything else become exponentially easier or I wouldn't have to even do the other things at all, right? And so sometimes the one thing could be the thing that you're doing really well, like, wow, Whenever I work on this one concept, it just seems to like light light bulbs off in my head, or I feel really accomplished, or it just makes sense to me, right? Or I'm using an element of my instrument to help me understand improvisation, and it works the best, right? For me, composing jazz solos was something that really worked for me, right? Or for example, I think I'm really good at comping. That's something that I'm really good at. So using comping and working on comping even more can help me play better solos, can help me be a better accompanist, can help me play better solo guitar. Like, I mean, it can help me do so many things. And so it's sort of like, what's my superpower and how can I double down on that superpower? So that means that we're not always going to have balanced practice sessions. And ultimately, that's a good thing. Now, I want to talk really quickly about a concept that I've talked about before, which is using jazz standards as the platform for everything because that's what we really believe in learn jazz at learn jazz standards that's why in our inner circle membership the main thing we do is learn one jazz standard a month because i like to think of a jazz standard as a pizza so think of the jazz standard as the crust the whole thing that everything is layered on top of and then anything you want to practice can and should be applied to a jazz standard so technique can be applied to a jazz standard 
jazz language can be applied to a jazz standard, right? Um, the one thing that you're really good at or not good at can be applied to a jazz standard. So having a context such as a jazz standard, which is the vehicle that jazz musicians use to improvise, will help you learn faster rather than working on random concepts or strategies that don't have any context, especially when it comes to what we usually improvise over and play songs with in jazz. Okay, So... If we are having practice sessions, right, unbalanced practice sessions, which is what I'm suggesting, then make sure whatever you're doing, you're applying it to a jazz standard. Okay, so that's number five. We think having balance, we think we need to have balanced practice sessions. We actually really don't. Sometimes that's actually counterintuitive. Number six is thinking big is bad. Thinking big is bad. So, for example, Let's just say that your thought or your dream is to play just as good as the pianist Bill Evans or Sonny Rollins or, you know, Kurt Rosenwinkel or John Coltrane or just put in the jazz musician that you like the most. But let's just say this case for the sake of the teaching, you want to play just like Bill Evans. Now, Bill Evans, just so you guys know, well, he's one of the best jazz pianists who's ever lived. Forget about just jazz pianists. He's one of the best musicians, I'd argue, who's ever lived. He's the, he was the peak of, of creativity, the peak of you know innovation on his instrument and improvising and everything. So in other words, we're talking about one of the best musicians in the world, and your big idea or dream is to play just like Bill Evans. And we're told that that's not really a good thing to do because, of course, you'll never play just as good as Bill Evans, right? So that's the thinking. And so what I want to propose to you is sort of like think about this, uh, think about the, visualize this for a second. Imagine this is, you know, you're at the very bottom of this mountain and at the very peak, the very top of this mountain is playing just like Bill Evans. So you're trying to get to the peak of the mountain. Of course, if you never ever try it at all, a good a good uh, likelihood is that you'll probably never, you're never, you're never going to improve, right? Because you're not trying anything. But imagine that in the process of trying to play just as good as Bill Evans, you fell, you were able to get a little higher up the mountain, right? And that part of the mountain was feeling confident to play at jazz jam sessions, right? You were able to, in the pursuit of trying to play just as good as Bill Evans, you were finally able to go to a jam session and like feel pretty good about it. And you know the songs and you're feeling great. And by the way, that's one of the number one things I hear from people, what they wish they could do, what their jazz goals are, is they want to feel confident that they can play at a jam session and proud of themselves, right? So in the pursuit of trying to sound just like Bill Evans, you ended up accomplishing that smaller goal. And then after that, in the pursuit of trying to sound just like Bill Evans, you were able to get a little bit further up that mountain and you stumbled upon getting a gig at a local jazz club or a local place that a lot of great players play at, right? Someone even hired you to do it themselves. They heard you play at the jam session. They're like, wow, you sound so good. I want you to play in my band or I want you to play a night over here. So in the process, you all of a sudden leveled up the mountain and perhaps... You never get further than that point. Let's just say for argument's sake, you never get further from that point. You never end up playing just as good as Bill Evans, um, which again, like the, the, the chances are you probably won't ever play just as good as Bill Evans. And even if you got close, 
you're probably going to sound like yourself. You're going to have reached a very high level of playing and musicianship to where you have your own unique identity, which I would argue is better than playing just like Bill Evans, obviously. Right? So then imagine yourself again at the bottom of that mountain where you started, right? The bottom of the mountain before you tried to play like Bill Evans. And then imagine yourself, let's say, three-fourths of the way up that mountain, which is where you got that jazz gig. Well, that's the new musician. That's the new you. The old musician, the old you, is at the bottom of that mountain. And if you had never thought big, if you had never dreamed big, you probably just wouldn't have accomplished all these other incredibly fulfilling things as a musician that probably deep inside you want to accomplish, that you want to do. And have so much fun on your instrument in the process because of the accomplishments and the improvements that you've made in your jazz playing, all in the pursuit of trying to play like Bill Evans, right? So thinking big is bad. Well, it's only bad if we think about failure in the sense that we didn't reach our goal and therefore we've, we lost, right? We lost the game. But instead, thinking about it and shifting our narrative, thinking big is actually a very good thing because it just simply means that we have an actual you know, place that we're trying to reach. Like we, we actually put a destination into the GPS. And because we're making inroads towards that place, we're exponentially improving more than we would otherwise, right? So thinking big is actually good. It's not bad, right? So let's go again, over again, all six of these lies as a review. So number one, everything you practice matters. It's not true. There's probably a smaller subset of things you're actually practicing that are getting you the most results. Number two is practicing a lot of things gets more results. Not necessarily because oftentimes it just means you're spread too thin. Number three, we must practice the same things, right? Or we must be disciplined in our practice. And ultimately, it's not true, right? It's better to practice things in different, different angles to improve. Number four is the willpower to practice can be summoned easily. We know that there's a finite amount of willpower we have before we have to recharge our battery. So let's spend our battery charge on things that will actually help us play better. Number five is we must have balanced practice sessions. Again, it's going to spread us out too thin. Instead, we should focus on the things that are ailing us the most or the things that we are, are really good at and we want to improve on even more. And number six is thinking big is bad, but in reality... Thinking big is what's going to help you get to the next level in your jazz playing every single time. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you. Hope you learned something today. And hope, of course, that you take action because action is the most important thing that you can do after listening to one of these podcast episodes. And by the way, if you need help taking action, then the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle is always here to help make things easier and to help you feel like you're accomplishing things in your jazz practicing. So if you're interested or you've been sitting on the sidelines for a while, but you're like, hey, this year though, I really just want to start reaching my jazz goals and I need help. Well, go to ljsinnercircle.com because I am certain we can help you just as we've helped over 1,800 other jazz musicians who play all different kinds of instruments do the exact same. All right. We'll see you in the next episode. So make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and happy practicing. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes and 
Don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.